0: Good morning to everyone, my name is Tim Harris, I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church and I welcome you to worship, God bless you, all of you at the Franklin campus, God bless you, welcome, let's jump right in, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, a brand new sermon series started this morning entitled Promises to Keep, we're going to talk about marriage, four sermons, four Promises. I I do a lot of weddings this year, especially a lot of weddings, and I love weddings, but I always try to explain to the couple that no matter what else you plan in your wedding, all of the, the dog and pony show, the dress, the bridesmaids, the cake, everything that seems so important, I'm telling you, the only thing that really matters, it all boils down to those promises that you will make before God. You're making promises to one another, and that's what a marriage is. It's about promises, and they are promises to keep until you die, which makes it a very, very solemn, very solemn commitment. So for the next four sermons, I just want to bring you back to those promises, those four four promises. And the first one this morning, the promise of priority. I want you to take out pencil and paper. I want you to take some notes. For one thing, if you don't take notes, your wife will be preaching this sermon to you the rest of this week. You'd be better off to have it written down so you can know what I said. You understand? Better off to write it down for yourself and have it re-preached incorrectly to you Later, take some notes. The promise of priority. I want you to write down a few things, and these are fundamental principles for life, for Christian life, but also importantly for marriage. At the end of every fairy tale that you've ever ever read or, or seen, the couple gets married and they live happily ever after. And understand that what that says in our culture and how we raise our kids with that to be the end of every marriage story. They live happily ever after. Besides the fact that that just never really happens in that way, it's never really that easy. Besides the fact that that is sort of a a myth altogether, it also implies to children growing up, and many of us have bought into this lie, that our lives are about happiness, that at the end of every story, if there's happiness, then therefore it, it's a good life. It suggests that the aim of your life is happiness. But I'm assuming that in, in, in the company of the church here, uh, in, in Sunday morning, Baptist congregations, that you're a little wiser, surely you understand that you're the purpose of your life is not happiness, We're Christians, we're God's people. The purpose of my life and yours is not happiness, not that I can be happy ever after, but that I might be holy, that I might be holy ever after. That is Christ's purpose for my life and your life. That's why Jesus died. My life is about holiness, simply defined holiness is to be like Christ, So God's purpose for my life every day is that I learn to be like Christ. And day by day, I pray, I am becoming more like him. I'm learning to live like Christ, act like Christ, love like Christ. Now, whether you are single or married, the purpose of your life is holiness, to be like Christ. But if you're married, then your marriage becomes that place, that everyday place, where you are learning to become more like Christ. That means with your spouse, you have an everyday, 24-7 opportunity to love somebody more than you love yourself. Your marriage is not about happiness. It's about holiness. Now now get this. If in your marriage, in your life, you seek happiness before holiness, you'll most likely have neither. Are you listening to me? Because I'm already preaching. If in your marriage you pursue happiness before holiness, most likely you'll have neither. You'll never be very happy and you won't stumble into holiness. But if in your marriage you will pursue holiness to be like Christ, if you'll pursue holiness over happiness, you'll have both. Are you listening? If you pursue holiness first to be like Christ, if you pursue holiness above happiness... You'll have both. What this means is that any problem you're having in your marriage now or that you'll ever have in marriage, any problem in marriage always boils down to a very simple thing. Somebody's not acting like Christ. Somebody's not becoming more like Christ. Somebody's not loving like Christ. I don't care what the problem is. Somebody is not acting like Christ. The secret to marriage is be like Christ understand seek holiness before happiness and you'll most likely find both this morning the promise is the promise of priority really rather simply stated it would be this next to christ you are my priority that's what you'd say to your spouse next to christ you are my priority write that down that's the first promise of marriage and to look at that let's turn to genesis chapter two verses 18 to 25 this is good stuff genesis two verse 18 The promise of priority. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. A helper who is just right for him. Again, we're talking about the woman here. She's getting her big introduction here. That word helper is etzer. Say etzer. Etzer, etzer. It's a Hebrew word. It means strong helper. It's used here to refer to the woman, but everywhere else in the Old Testament that you find the word etzer, it's referring to God. So this is a very, very strong word. It means helper. It means lifesaver. It means strong help. So understand, this is an awesome word. Not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no etzer, no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, or or literally part of the man's side, took out his side, took out the man's side, and the Lord God closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24, underline this verse. This explains Why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, or literally the two become one flesh. you understand what that means? This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, clings or or, or comes to his wife, and they become one flesh. It explains it. How does it explain it? Because from the beginning, they were one. God saw that it was not good that the man should be alone, so he separated, he separated, he divided, he took out part of the man, made the woman. That's why they come together, because truly from the beginning they're one. Do you understand that? Verse 25, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. We'll come back to that. Man, I, I, I hate to bring it up because I don't like this show at all, but I'll just, I'll just say it out, out loud. Have you ever seen The Bachelor? I, I know this past season it's been a bachelorette, which, which is even even worse, but I, I, I won't complain. I, I just want to use it for example. When it's The Bachelor, when it's a guy that's the main character, the show always starts sort of the same way. That first episode always shows The Bachelor living his life. Have you ever seen that? you ever seen it? that last Bachelor? What was his name? He was just a real weasel. Do you remember him? Uh, Jake, was his name Jake? Something like that. All the bachelors, I think, are named something like Jake. Anyway, they show Jake living his life. And what's his life like? First off, in his life, he never has to wear a shirt. is that amazing? His life requires no shirt. No shirt. He can walk around without a shirt on, which is just really something. And it seems like most of his life, he jet skis. He's jet skiing jet skiing or or else riding a boat or doing something else that requires no shirt. Do do you see the pattern here? His whole life is somehow in the sunshine and on the sand and and, and he's tanned and, and he's happy and he's smiling and he's also in the military and he's also saving babies out of a fire. He's a fireman. You understand, this guy, Jake, is awesome. He's the bachelor. Do you get that? Surely you understand that that is not how life is. Have you ever seen a real-life bachelor? (laughs) Have you? They should all wear shirts. Every bachelor in the world is nothing like Jake, and to be real honest, this is why the show is so lame, Jake's not like Jake either. That's made for TV. It's a kind of myth that our culture feeds us, but that's not how bachelor life is. Come back to Genesis. This is a story of creation, God making everything, and this is so good, I love this. God makes everything, the, the sun, the moon, and stars, and after God makes everything, he says one thing, he says, that is Good. Everything God makes, God says, that is good. The sun, moon, and stars, it's good. The day and the night, the water and the dry land, that's good, that's good. Creates a sea life. Creatures fill the sea. Birds fill the air, and it's good. It's always good creepy crawling things all over the earth, every kind of animal, every kind of tree, bush, flower, it's good, it's good. And then God creates Adam, creates a man, and he's very good, makes a man in his own image, the scripture says. Unlike any other thing that God created, the human being, the man, created in God's image to reflect God's image back to him. And God puts Adam in the garden to work it, and that's Adam's life. He's the very first bachelor. But but notice what happens. Notice how things kind of unfold here. Everything God makes is good. And then he puts Adam, the bachelor, puts him in the Garden of Eden, and everything is perfect for a while. But then do you know how bachelor life just tends to kind of fall apart? It unravels, and it happened to Adam. You see, the Garden of Eden was kind of nice, but Adam, being a bachelor, he didn't really have any furniture. So one day, driving his truck down the road, he saw this old couch by the side of the road that already smelled like feet. But he picked it up and brought it in the Garden of Eden. And that was his couch. Didn't have any other furniture, so he went out and he got one of those great big electric cable spools. You know what I'm talking about? Those great big things. He rolled that in the garden and made that his coffee table. This was sort of Adam's life. And this is how it starts to go downhill Adam sort of spends his life th- this way. He eats beanie he's kind of straight out of the can. He works every day. He comes home by himself. On, on Friday night, Adam will, will go by White Castle and get a giant sack of White Castles. And then he'll go home by the TV and watch all the Star Wars movies from beginning to end. That's every Friday night. God looks down at Adam living like this and says, that is not good. It, it is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. When God looks down and sees the very first bachelor, he says, that ain't good. There's nothing good about that. I've gotta do something. So God does an amazing thing and he continues to do it. God looks down and sees that it is not always good for one of us to be alone. And so God, it says, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, a deep sleep. God does the very first surgery here. He reaches in, takes out some portion of the man's side. We usually say rib, but we don't know. Took out some portion of the man's side and created woman. Isn't that awesome? Woman. And when Adam wakes up and sees this naked woman walking toward him, he starts singing. He is singing, baby, the world's first poet, world's first love song right here. I mean, Adam is a changed man the moment he lays eyes on the woman. And notice what the scripture says, verse 24, this is important. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. They become one flesh. This explains it. The story of origins explains why there's something about a man and something about a woman we long to be together. There's something about the man and the woman. When you see that woman, that is like your own missing piece. When you see that woman that completes and complements you, something happens. And the Bible says this explains it. She truly is your missing piece. She truly is the only one for you, the only one who can complete and complement you. This explains why a man, what's the word? Leaves. He leaves his father and mother. This is very important. The very beginning of marriage, the very first step is a leaving, a loosening, a letting go. In every wedding ceremony that I've ever preached, it's kind of awesome. I stand here, the bride enters from back there with typically her father. And her father brings her in. And the father, this big, tough man, giant of a man, comes out, and his lips quiver, and He comes in all upset because he's got to give his daughter away. That's a hard thing. Give his daughter away. What's that about? It's about this right here. It's about this. It's explained by the fact that a man has to leave his father and mother. That before you can have a promise of priority, there has to be a shifting of priorities. you understand where this goes? There's a loosening of all the other bonds. Prior to the moment of marriage, the father and mother typically have had the place of priority in a young man or young woman's life. But at the point of marriage, this changes. There is a leaving A loosening. And it has to happen. It has to happen. All of the other priorities of your life are now shifted. Everything gets moved down a notch. You now have a new priority and it is your spouse. Upon marriage, your spouse becomes your top priority next to Christ. You understand? Everything else shifts. You are marrying your husband. That means your mama is not in this marriage. If she is, you got trouble. You cannot be married to mama and your husband. Mama has to find a new place in your life and you might have to help her. You can't be married to mama too. You cannot continue to have a life full of all of the priorities that you've had and not begin to shift them. Everything gets moved. This explains why the man leaves the Bible says. There's a leaving. In too many marriages, this never happens. In too many marriages, it never happens. The couple stands at the altar and they promise to love, honor, and cherish and keep myself only for you, but somehow they don't mean that or they don't follow through on that promise. Next to Christ, spouse is your priority. There is no one as important, nothing As important, you have a new priority. It's your spouse. For this reason, a man must leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Do you get that? A leaving, and to use the old King James language, a a cleaving. Leaving and cleaving. You've got to come and, and cling. The spouse is your priority above everything else. The Bible actually has some very, very strong words about this and particularly directed toward the husbands. So, guys, put on your big boy pants and let's take a look at some of the things Scripture says to us. From the book of Ephesians, first, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Everybody read this together with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ, understand there, notice how you're being like Christ. Just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. In all of scripture, next to Christ, the only thing that a man has said that he should be willing to die for is his wife. Willing to lay down his life. This is the kind of love you're having for this woman next to Christ. She is your priority. You will die for her. Now I see a lot of men who would probably die for the remote control. I've seen men who would probably die to to go see the Titans play in, in, in the stadium. I see guys who would probably die to have a raise at work or maybe to have a new truck. I see guys who would lay down their lives for a lot of things, but in scripture, only two things, Christ and then your wife. You love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. You have no higher priority, nothing, nothing next to Christ. Higher than your wife. You are told to be ready to die for her. And flip back to the book of Malachi. This is an amazing series of verses we don't read very often, but listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says a word of judgment to God's people. Notice where it goes. Here's another thing you do you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. You're kidding. He was there? Oh yeah, he was there. He witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful, your covenant partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Okay, let that sink in. It's a situation of people, predominantly men in this this particular context, men whose lives aren't going well. Nothing is going well for these men, and particularly in their worship. They do not feel that their prayers reach heaven's throne. They do not feel that God is accepting their worship, and indeed he's not. Do you understand that? He's not. There is a tremendous wedge in the spiritual life of these men And they don't understand why. They don't understand why nothing is working for them. They don't understand why they cannot be content, why they cannot be happy. They don't understand where the anger comes from, where the depression comes from. And God says, I'll tell you where it comes from. Because I witnessed your wedding vows. Wow. Your wedding, if it was anything like the weddings I've done, typically the minister will say something about the promises you're making before God and this company of witnesses. They're promises you make before God. Do you understand that? And God is there, and God listens, and God holds you to it. God holds you to it, which means you may have forgotten what you promised her, but God has not forgotten You may have forgotten that you were supposed to make her your top priority next to Christ, but Christ has not forgotten. And at this point in your life, things may not be going so well, and you don't understand why. You can call it a midlife crisis if you want, and you can go buy yourself a sports car, or you can get some hair plugs, or you can get a perm, you can lay in the tanning bed, you can do whatever you need to do, sir, to try to fill that empty place. But God says, I I know the problem. I know exactly what's wrong with you because I was present at your wedding. And I know what you promised. And I know you're not keeping your promises. You see how that works? There's judgment, literal judgment upon the one who will not keep wedding vows. Now, I'm not just talking about cheating sexy on your wife, although obviously that's a big part of it. You made a tremendous list of vows to her. And women, you made a tremendous list of vows to your husband. You said things like you would stay there no matter what, in sickness and in health. You said richer or poorer. You said better or worse. You said that. You never ever promised anything about happily ever after. What you said was, I will stand beside you and you will be my top priority till death. That's what you said. Now, why haven't you kept those promises? Why have you stepped away from those? You may have forgotten what you promised, but God doesn't forget. Your spouse is your top priority next to Christ. Nothing, no one more significant. So here's what it boils down to. In most marriages where there is trouble, I would say there has been a failure on somebody's part to protect and practice the priority of marriage. Somebody is breaking this promise. Your spouse is your priority. Priority. And there's nothing and no one more important. But but you know that when you promise you really didn't mean that. So what happens? How does it fall apart? How do other things come between you? How do other priorities start creeping back up? Well, honestly, here's how the devil works. Here's how life works. It's not that you start to put bad things in between you and your wife. I don't think that happens very often, although I'm sure it happens but probably not with you. It's not that you've gone at it and you've begun to put bad things in your life. I would say that the priorities that have begun to to erode your marriage are probably good things, probably good things, because in life, good is always enemy of the best. You've probably allowed things that are actually good things to come into your life, but you've let them come between you and your wife, come between you and your husband, and it's killing your marriage. Just to give the most obvious example, in most marriages where something comes between the husband and the wife, in many, many cases, what is it? It's the kids. It's the kids. Now, you love your children. There's no way not to love your children. When your kid was born, it was the ugliest thing God ever made. That kid popped out, it was purple and slimy and cheesy and gross. And you said, ah, ah, and you started taking pictures and putting them on the internet. We didn't want to see it. We didn't want to see it. Wash it, shave it, send it to school, and then start sending us pictures. That newborn baby is freakish, but in your eyes, beautiful, beautiful. Wow, and when you have a baby, just like when you get married, priorities shift. Your whole life gets messed up when a baby comes in, does it not? In the most wonderful way, messed up, messed up. That baby begins to take a place, and I'm telling you, next to my wife, I never imagined loving anything like I loved my son from the moment I saw that purple, cheesy, greasy blob in my hands, I loved him, loved him. So so what happens? Wow, in a marriage, it's often kind of difficult to love a grown-up. It's hard to love that wife who's not always perfect. I said that marriage is about being like Christ, but by now you've realized that you did not marry Jesus. And it is very, very difficult sometimes to be married and have a relationship with a a full-blown grown-up, but it is so easy to love that baby. So easy to love that little one who just loves you back. They just love you back. They don't understand what a loser you are. They don't understand how much money you don't make. They never complain. That little baby's just glad to see you come home. How can you not fall in love with that? And we do, we just do. We start loving those children. But then something happens in a lot of marriages. That child starts to take the very center stage in the family. And don't you understand what the Bible says? What a marriage is it's one man and one woman joined together for life. A marriage is about the couple, it's the husband and the wife. And honestly, the most important need of a child is a mom and dad who love each other more than anything. It is not good when the child becomes the center of the marriage. But so often, it's exactly what happens. Some of you right now, you're young couples and your children are young, and you don't understand why your marriage is so difficult. I can probably name two or three good reasons why your marriage is so difficult. My goodness, it's hard to have little ones, but it's harder if you give them the center place in your marriage. You can't do that. You you can't. You can't start letting the child meet all of your emotional needs, but that's what many of us do. It's the child who starts fulfilling your emotional need. It's the child who in many cases starts providing all the needs for intimacy. Those little hugs, those little kisses, I'm telling you, we love our kids and sooner or later, we're letting the kid meet all of our needs so there's no longer a real need for the spouse. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Am I making this up? That's why some of you right now have a five-year-old kid who still sleeps in your bed. You know what I mean? We had that five-year-old kid sleeping in our bed. I loved it. Man, I love my son. Man. He's just a little bit. He felt like come get in our bed. Casey hated it. Hated it. She said he was like sleeping with a gorilla. And he was, but he was just so cute. We put him in this bed. We'd say our prayers. We'd go get in our bed, and in a few minutes, boop, 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 little feet across, he'd come get in our bed. Man, that's fine with me. We got a big bed. Casey didn't like it. I would say, Casey, I've done a lot of marriages and I've never done a marriage of a man who still slept in the bed with his parents. I'm pretty sure he'll outgrow this. He'll just outgrow it. Casey said, I don't care. I'm not waiting until he gets married. See, <laughs> my wife says, You know what she did? This is awful. Please don't call child protective services. You know what my wife did? She put a blanket in the floor. And she said, if you're coming in here, you will not get in this bed. You will sleep in that floor. Like a dog. <laughs> and, oh, it just break my heart. Wade would go, boop boop, 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 coming across the floor to get in bed. In case would go, uh-uh, uh-uh. She'd be saying, uh-uh, when he's in the door. Uh-uh. Poor Wade would go lay on the floor. <laughs> cold, shivering, you know. She a mean mama? Wade, is she a mean mama? She's an awesome mama. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. And she was doing something important for our marriage, to be honest. She was doing something important for our marriage. There are things that a wife and husband share, and they need to be protected. And nothing, not even that precious little girl, that precious little boy, nothing should come between you. That's why God made kids' bedrooms. You understand? Nothing comes between. But now I'm serious, and you should be serious enough to to admit and recognize that this is real life. This is a big problem in a lot of marriages. They have made that child the center of everything. And therefore, when that child leaves home, what's going to happen to that couple? They divorce. Why? Because they had nothing. They had nothing in common but that kid. And when the kid's gone, there's no more family. You have got to protect and practice the priority of your relationship. Your kids need you to put your husband first. Your kids need you to put your wife first. They were not designed to be the center of the family. They were not designed to meet your emotional needs. They're not supposed to be the one you share the bed with. Do you understand? They're not supposed to fill that role in your life. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife the spouse is the priority But but it's not just children. There are all sorts of things that you begin to let take that place of priority. And many of our lives, it's become work. It's the job. You'll sacrifice anything with your family if it will get you the promotion at work. And you tell yourself that one day you'll back off. One day after you just get to the next level, or once you make this amount of money, then you'll start coming back home. Don't you understand? You won't have a home to come back to. The home, the marriage is your priority. It's more important than your job. It's more important than sports. It's more important than golf. More important than scrapbooking. It's more important than any of your hobbies. The spouse is your priority next to Christ. Didn't you make that promise? Did you not know what you were promising? Maybe one exception. There might be occasions when the husband and wife have to allow some other priority to take its place. And I'm speaking now very specifically to some of you who are military families. And you have had to make great sacrifices for the sake of defending our country. And some of you are about to do that again. And I recognize the importance of that. And God bless you for what you're willing to do. In our own story, early in our marriage, Wade was six months old, and in order to finish school, I needed to do six months of study in another state. I was going to have to be away from my wife and son for six months. We prayed about that very seriously. We prayed about it. And we tried to do everything we could to to, to recognize how hard this was going to be for us. And we agreed to it. For this amount of time, for this purpose, we're going to make this change. But we will come back together. It was a very, very solemn and serious and difficult decision. But we did that for this period of time there might be some some episode in your marriage when you have to make a choice like that. Some of you now are at the stage of life where you might have to take some time and begin caring for your own ailing parent. And for this period of time, it's going to seem like that you're giving your husband less attention. You need to talk about that. You need to pray about that. You need to understand that your marriage will suffer during this time. I'm saying that sometimes life becomes very difficult and we may have to do some very difficult things as a couple, but you've got to do it as a couple. You can't allow these priorities just to creep in and take over and destroy the priority of your marriage. So here's homework. I want to give you three questions. Write these down. Three questions. Won't be easy. First one's a question to ask yourself. Simply ask yourself, is my spouse my highest priority next to Christ. Ask yourself that question. Is my spouse, my husband, my wife, my highest priority next to Christ? If not, what is? If not, what is? Because there is something profoundly wrong with your life. It is, above all things, a spiritual problem. You are not being like Christ in this relationship. You're not keeping your promise to your spouse. So if your spouse is not your highest priority next to Christ, then what is? You've got to figure out where your priorities are, and you've got to change your priorities now. Drastically, radically, whatever it takes. Make your spouse a priority next to Christ. If they're not, who is? Question number two. I dare you. You ready? I I dare you. I dare you to do this. Number two, I want you sometime today, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, no later than tomorrow, ask your spouse this question. And she's listening to me say this because she's going to be waiting for you to ask now. Do you understand? I put you in trouble. Ask your spouse this question. Do I treat you like my highest priority next to Christ? Do I treat you like the highest priority? Now, here's part of it. I want you to ask the question, then you shut up. Ask the question, then you just listen. Don't ask her and then tell her what to say. Don't ask her and then tell her why she's not. You just ask the question and then you let him talk. Okay? Ask the question and listen. Do I treat you like my highest priority next to Christ? I dare you. Ask and then listen. Third question. Ask yourself this question. Is my marriage in trouble? Ask it. Ask yourself that question. Is my marriage in trouble? I'm just your pastor. I don't follow you home, any of you, and I really don't know what's going on in your lives, but just from what I see and know, I would estimate that probably sitting in this room right now, a third of the couples are having trouble. I'd say a third of you, are having problems, some of you very, very serious problems. I'd say a third. Now, I know that when you come to church, you don't let that show. Some of you are having a rip-roaring fight in the car, coming up the driveway at church, but by the time you got to the greeters at the door, you look like the sunshiniest couple we've ever seen. You're you're pretty good at hiding it, but but I just want you to be real honest. Is your marriage in trouble? Because if it is, there is nothing more important than fixing the problems. There is nothing. You have everything to lose here. Your kids depend upon this marriage. Your spiritual life depends upon this marriage. You're becoming more and more like Christ every day. It has everything to do with this marriage. Everything God is doing in your life, if you're a married person, it has to do with this marriage. Nothing's more important. So what's it going to take? Do you need to go to a counselor? Then go to a counselor. We can't afford counseling. Can you afford to eat it out back? Can you afford to eat out? Can you afford movies? Can you afford to rent DVDs? Can you afford the car you drive? Can you afford gasoline? Then don't say you can't afford help for your marriage. Your priorities are messed up. We don't have time for counseling. We don't have time. I'm telling you, do you have time for divorce? Because that's where it leads. This is where it leads. Well, I don't think he'll ever change. Well, I'm telling you, you've got to change that mindset. You've got to stop telling yourself that somehow your marriage is never going to change. It can change. It will change when you have two people doing everything they can to become more like Christ, to live like Christ and act like Christ and love like Christ. When you begin two people moving toward Christ, I'm telling you, amazing things happen in a marriage. It can change for you too. You're not the exception. You're not the two people that God put together just as some sort of experiment in misery. God was present when you made those promises. God heard what you said. And God's expecting you to keep your promises. First promise is the promise of priority next to Christ. You are my priority. It's a promise you made. It's a promise to keep. Pray with me. Lord, some of us right now could very nearly jump up and run out of this church. This sermon makes us feel that way. So frustrated, so scared, so angry, so desperate. God, I pray that instead of running away from you, that we would run to you. God, truly, we need your help. Truly, our marriages need your help. God, there are so many priorities in our lives and so many different things that compete for our allegiance. But Lord, there is only really one first place. There can only be one top priority. And Lord Jesus, we know that in all of our lives as believers, you have that top place. But Lord, next to you, as married people, help us to put our spouse back in that place of priority. God, if we have to change jobs, let us walk away from the job if we have to drop hobbies, if we have to sell the house, if we have to do whatever we have to do, Lord, help us to make good on the promises we made to that woman, promises we made to that man. Lord Jesus, so many of us, we just want to be happy, and every single day we seek happiness. But Lord, help us to understand that happiness is not what you're trying to create in our lives. You want to create holiness. You want us to be like you to live like you and act like you and and love like you. Help us, Lord, to seek holiness in our marriage so that we might also find happiness. Lord Jesus, there are many, many in this house this morning, broken and heavy hearts. Some, Lord, very thankful hearts for the marriage that they have. Lord, we gather here together to love each other, to pray for one another, and to work, Lord, for healthy families, healthy marriages. Lord Jesus, let the work begin today. Let priorities be reorganized. Lord Jesus, make us to be more like you everywhere, especially in our marriage. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand together. I don't know how God is speaking to you. It may have nothing to do with your marriage, but whatever God is asking you to do, I want you to follow him now and say yes to him. Some of you have never put Christ in that place of top priority in your life. And if this is the day when you're ready to come and give your heart to him, then please come forward. Let me pray with you. Let me show you how you can know him as your Lord and Savior. Others of you recognize in your life, you're not becoming more like him. You're not thinking like Christ, not acting like Christ, not loving like Christ. You need to make your life right with Christ. Whatever you need to do, if you have a public decision to make them at the front to receive you, this is the time to respond. Brother Andrew, please. Let's